Section 1 of From Plots to Boston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From Plots to Boston by Mary Anton. Section 1. The short journey from Plots to Vilna was uneventful. Station after station was passed without our taking any interest in anything, for that never-to-be-forgotten leave-taking at the Plotz railroad station left us all in such a state of apathy to all things except our own thoughts as could not easily be thrown off. Indeed, had we not been obliged to change trains at Devinsk, and being the inexperienced travelers we were, do a great deal of bustling and hurrying and questioning of porters and mere idlers, I do not know how long we would have remained in that same thoughtful, silent state. Towards evening we reached Vilna, and such a welcome as we got. Up to then I had never seen such a mob of porters and isvostchiki. I do not clearly remember just what occurred, but a most vivid recollection of being very uneasy for a time is still retained in my memory. You see, my uncle was to have met us at the station, but urgent business kept him elsewhere. Now, it was universally believed in Plotsk that it was wise not to trust the first Ivaschik who offered his services when one arrived in Vilna a stranger, and I do not know to this day how Mother managed to get away from the mob, and how, above all, she dared to trust herself with her precious baggage to one of them. But I have thought better of Vilna Ivaschiki since, for we were safely landed after a pretty long drive in front of my uncle's store, with never one of our number lost, never a bundle stolen, or any mishap whatever. Our stay in Vilna was marked by nothing of interest. We stayed only long enough for some necessary papers to reach us, and during that time I discovered that Vilna was very much like Plotsk, though larger, cleaner, and noisier. There were the same coarse, hoarse-voiced women in the market, the same kind of storekeepers in the low store doors forever struggling and quarreling for a customer. The only really interesting things I remember were the horse cars, which I had never even heard of, and in one of which I had a lovely ride for five kopeck, and a large bookstore on the Nemetska Yulitsa. The latter object may not seem of any interest to most people, but I had never seen so many books in one place before, and I could not help regarding them with longing and wonder. At last all was readiness for our start. This was really the beginning of our long journey, which I shall endeavor to describe. I will not give any description of the various places we passed, for we stopped at few places and always under circumstances which did not permit of sightseeing. I shall only speak of such things as made a distinct impression upon my mind, which, it must be remembered, was not mature enough to be impressed by what older minds were, while, on the contrary, it was in just the state to take in many things which others heeded not. I do not know the exact date, but I do know that it was at the break of day on a Sunday and very early in April when we left Vilna. We had not slept any the night before, Fanny and I spent the long hours in playing various quiet games and watching the clock. At last the long-expected hour arrived. Our train would be due in a short time. All but Fanny and myself had by this time fallen into a drowse, half sitting, half lying on some of the many baskets and boxes 
that stood all about the room, all ready to be taken to the station. So we set to work to rouse the rest, and with the aid of an alarm clock's loud ringing, we soon had them at least half awake, and while the others sat rubbing their eyes and trying to look wide awake, Uncle Boris had gone out, and when he returned with several droshkies to convey us to the station, we were all ready for the start. We went out into the street, and now I perceived that not we alone were sleepy. Everything slept, and nature also slept, deeply, sweetly. The sky was covered with dark gray clouds, perhaps that was its nightcap, from which a chill, drizzling rain was slowly descending, and the thick morning fog shut out the road from our sight. No sound came from any direction. Slumber and quiet reigned everywhere, for everything and person slept, forgetful for a time of joys, sorrows, hopes, fears, everything. Sleepily we said our last goodbyes to the family, took our seats in the droshkies, and soon the Hospitalnaya Ulitsa was lost to sight. As the vehicles rattled along the deserted streets, the noise of the horses' hoofs and the wheels striking against the paving stones sounded unusually loud in the general hush, and caused the echoes to answer again and again from the silent streets and alleys. In a short time we were at the station. In our impatience we had come too early, and now the waiting was very tiresome. Everybody knows how lively and noisy it is at a railroad station when a train is expected, but now there were but a few persons present, and in everybody's face I could see the reflection of my own dissatisfaction, because, like myself, they had much rather have been in a comfortable, warm bed than up and about in the rain and fog. Everything was so uncomfortable. Suddenly we heard a long, shrill whistle, to which the surrounding dreariness gave a strangely mournful sound, the clattering train rushed into the depot and stood still. Several passengers, they were very few, left the cars and hastened toward where the droshkis stood, and after rousing the sleepy Ivoschiki were whirled away to their several destinations. When we had secured our tickets and seen to the baggage, we entered a car in the women's division and waited impatiently for the train to start. At last the first signal was given, then the second and third, the locomotive shrieked and puffed. The train moved slowly, then swiftly it left the depot far behind it. From Vilna to our next stopping place, Verzbolovo, there was a long, tedious ride of about eight hours. As the day continued to be dull and foggy, very little could be seen through the windows. Besides, no one seemed to care or to be interested in anything. Sleepy and tired as we all were, we got little rest, except the younger ones, for we had not yet got used to living in the cars and could not make ourselves very comfortable. For the greater part of the time we remained as unsocial as the weather was unpleasant. The car was very still, there being few passengers. Among them a very pleasant, kind gentleman traveling with his pretty daughter. Mother found them very pleasant to chat with, and we children found it less tiresome to listen to them. At half-past twelve o'clock the train came to a stop before a large depot, and the conductor announced, Verzbolovo, fifteen minutes. 
the sight that now presented itself was very cheering after our long unpleasant ride the weather had changed very much the sun was shining brightly and not a trace of fog or cloud was to be seen crowds of well-dressed people were everywhere walking up and down the platform passing through the many gates leading to the street sitting around the long well-loaded tables eating drinking talking or reading newspapers waited upon by the liveliest busiest waiters i had ever seen and there was such an activity and bustle about everything that i wished i could join in it it seemed so hard to sit still but i had to content myself with looking on with the others while the friendly gentleman whose acquaintance my mother had made i do not recollect his name assisted her in obtaining our tickets for eidkunen and attending to everything else that needed attention and there were many things soon the fifteen minutes were up our kind fellow-passenger and his daughter bade us farewell on a pleasant journey we were just on the brink of the beginning of our troubles the train puffed out of the depot and we all felt we were nearing a very important stage in our journey at this time cholera was raging in russia and was spread by emigrants going to america in the countries through which they travelled to stop this danger measures were taken to make emigration from russia more difficult than ever i believed that at all times the crossing of the boundary between russia and germany was a source of trouble to russians but with a special passport this was easily overcome when however the traveller could not afford to supply himself with one the boundary was crossed by stealth and many amusing anecdotes are told of persons who crossed in some disguise often that of a moujik who said he was going to the town on the german side to sell some goods carried for the purpose of ensuring the success of the ruse when several such tricks had been played on the guards it became very risky and often when caught a traveller resorted to stratagem which is very diverting when afterwards described but not so at a time when much depends on its success sometimes a paltry bribe secured one a safe passage and often emigrants were aided by men who made it their profession to help them cross often suffering themselves to be paid such sums for the service that it paid best to be provided with a special passport as i said the difficulties were greater at the time we were travelling and our friends believed we had better not attempt a stealthy crossing and we procured the necessary document to facilitate it we therefore expected little trouble but some we thought there might be for we had heard some vague rumours to the effect that a special passport was not as powerful an agent as it used to be we now prepared to enjoy a little lunch and before we had time to clear it away the train stopped and we saw several men in blue uniforms gilt buttons and brass helmets if you may call them so on their heads at his side each one wore a kind of leather case attached to a wide bronze belt in these cases they carried something like a revolver and each had beside a little book with black oilcloth covers i can give you no idea of the impression these men they were german gendarmes made on us by saying they frightened us perhaps because their to us impressive appearance gave them a stern look perhaps because they really looked something more than grave we were so frightened i only know that we were 
I can see the reason now clearly enough. Like all persons who were used to the tyranny of a Russian policeman, who practically ruled the ward or town under his friendly protection, and never hesitated to assert his rights as holder of unlimited authority over his little domain, in that mild, amiable manner so well known to such of his subjects as he particularly favored with his vigilant regard. Like all such persons, I say, we did not, could not, expect to receive any kind treatment at the hands of a number of officers, especially as we were in the very act of attempting to part with our much-beloved mother country, of which act, to judge by the pains it took to make it difficult, the government did not approve. It was a natural fear in us, as you can easily see. Pretty soon Mother recovered herself, and remembering that the train stops for a few minutes only, was beginning to put away the scattered articles hastily when a gendarme entered our car and said we were not to leave it. Mama asked him why, and he said nothing and left the car, another gendarme entering as he did so. He demanded where were we going, and hearing the answer, went out. Before we had time to look about at each other's frightened faces, another man, a doctor, as we soon knew, came in followed by a third gendarme. The doctor asked many questions about our health and of what nationality we were. Then he asked about various things as where we were going to, if we had tickets, how much money we had, where we came from, to whom we were going, etc., etc., making a note of every answer he received. This done, he shook his head with his shining helmet on it and said slowly, I imagine he enjoyed frightening us, with these third-class tickets you cannot go to America now, because it is forbidden to admit emigrants into Germany who have not at least second-class tickets. You will have to return to Russia unless you pay at the office here to have your tickets changed for second-class ones. After a few minutes' calculation and reference to the notes he had made, he added calmly, I find you will need two hundred roubles to get your tickets exchanged and, as the finishing stroke to his pleasing communication, added, Your passports are of no use at all now, because the necessary part has to be torn out whether you are allowed to pass or not. A plain short speech he made of it, that cruel man. Yet every word sounded in our ears with an awful sound that stopped the beating of our hearts for a while. Sounded like the ringing of funeral bells to us, and yet without the mournfully sweet music those bells make, that they might heal while they hurt. We were homeless, houseless, and friendless in a strange place. We had hardly money enough to last us through the voyage for which we had hoped and waited for three long years. We had suffered much that the reunion we longed for might come about. We had prepared ourselves to suffer more in order to bring it about, and had parted with those we loved, with places that were dear to us in spite of what we passed through in them, never again to see them, as we were convinced, all for that same dear end. With strong hopes and high spirits that hid the sad parting, we had started on our long journey. And now we were checked so unexpectedly but surely, the blow coming from where we little expected it, being, as we believed, safe in that quarter, 
and that is why the simple words had such a frightful meaning to us. We had received a wound we knew not how to heal. When mother had recovered enough to speak, she began to argue with the gendarme, telling him our story and begging him to be kind. The children were frightened by what they understood and all but cried. I was only wondering what would happen, and wishing I could pour out my grief in tears as the others did. But when I feel deeply, I seldom show it in that way, and always wish I could. Mother's supplications, and perhaps the children's indirect ones, had more effect than I supposed they would. The officer was moved, even if he had just said that tears would not be accepted instead of money and gave us such kind advice that I began to be sorry I had thought him cruel, for it was easy to see that he was only doing his duty and had no part in our trouble that he could be blamed for, now that I had more kindly thoughts of him. He said that we would now be taken to Keybart, a few versts distance from Versbolovo, where one Herr Shidorsky lived. This man, he said, was well known for miles around, and we were to tell him our story and ask him to help us, which he probably would, being very kind. A ray of hope shone on each of the frightened faces, listening so attentively to this bearer of both evil and happy tidings. I, for one, was very confident that the good man would help us through our difficulties, for I was most unwilling to believe that we really couldn't continue our journey. Which of us was, I'd like to know. We are in Keybart at the depot. The least important particular even of that place I noticed and remembered. How the porter, he was an ugly, grinning man, carried in our things and put them away in the southern corner of the big room on the floor. How we sat down on a settee near them, a yellow settee. How the glass roof let in so much light that we had to shade our eyes because the car had been dark and we had been crying how there were only a few people besides ourselves there, and how I began to count them and stopped when I noticed a sign over the head of the fifth person, a little woman with a red nose and a pimple on it, that seemed to be staring at me as much as the grayish-blue eyes above them. It was so large and round, and tried to read the German with the aid of the Russian translation below. I noticed all this and remembered it, as if there was nothing else in the world for me to think of. No America, no gendarme to destroy one's passports and speak of two hundred rubles as if he were a millionaire, no possibility of being sent back to one's old home, whether one felt at all grateful for the kindness or not, nothing but that most attractive of places full of interesting sights. For though I had been so hopeful a little while ago, I felt quite discouraged when a man, very sour and grumbling, and he was a Jew, a son of mercy, as the certain song said, refused to tell Mama where Shadorsky lived. I then believed that the whole world must have united against us, and decided to show my defiant indifference by leaving the world to be as unkind as it pleased, while I took no interest in such trifles." So I let my mind lose itself in a queer sort of mist, a something I cannot describe except by saying it must have been made up of lazy inactivity. 
Through this mist I saw and heard indistinctly much that followed. When I think of it now, I see how selfish it was to allow myself to sink, body and mind, in such a sea of helpless laziness, when I might have done something besides awaiting the end of that critical time, whatever it might be, something, though what I do not see even now, I own. But I only studied the many notices till I thought myself very well acquainted with the German tongue, and now and then tried to cheer the other children, who were still inclined to cry, by pointing out to them some of the things that interested me. For this faulty conduct I have no excuse to give, unless youth and the fact that I was stunned with the shock we had just received will be accepted. I remember through that mist that mother found Shadorsky's home at last, but was told she could not see him until a little later, that she came back to comfort us and found there our former fellow-passenger, who had come with us from Vilna, and that he was very indignant at the way in which we were treated, and scolded and declared he would have the matter in all the papers, and said we must be helped. I remember how Mama saw Shadorsky at last, spoke to him, and then told us word for word what his answer had been, that he wouldn't wait to be asked to use all his influence, and wouldn't waste a moment about it, and he didn't, for he went out at once on that errand, while his good daughter did her best to comfort Mama with kind words and tea. I remember that there was much going to the good man's house, much hurrying of special messengers to and from Eidkunen, trembling inquiries, uncertain replies made hopeful only by the pitying, encouraging words and manners of the deliverer, for all, even the servants, were kind as good angels at that place. I remember that another little family, there were three, were discovered by us in the same happy state as ourselves, and like the dogs in the fable, who, receiving care at the hands of a kind man, sent their friends to him for help, we sent them to our helper. I remember seeing night come out of that mist, and bringing more trains and people and noise than the whole day we still remained at the depot, till I felt sick and dizzy. I remember wondering what kind of night it was, but not knowing how to find out, as if I had no senses. I remember that somebody said we were obliged to remain in Keybart that night, and that we set out to find lodgings, that the most important things I saw on the way were the two largest dolls I had ever seen, carried by two pretty little girls and a big handsome father, and a great deal of gravel in the streets and boards for the crossings. I remember that we found a little room, we had to go up four steps first, that we could have for seventy-five kopeck, with our tea paid for in that sum. I remember, through that mist, how I wondered what I was sleeping on that night, and I wondered about the weather, that we really woke up in the morning. I was so glad to rest I had believed we should never be disturbed again, and washed, and dressed, and breakfasted, and went to the depot again to be always on hand. I remember that Mama and the father of the little family went at once to the only good man on earth, I thought so, and that the party of three were soon gone, by the help of some agent that was slower for good reasons in helping us. 
I remember that Mama came to us soon after and said that Herr Shadorsky had told her to ask the postmeister, some high official there, for a pass to Eidkunen, and there she should speak herself to our protector's older brother, who would help us by means of his great power among the officers of high rank, that she returned in a few hours and told us the two brothers were equal in kindness, for the older one, too, said he would not wait to be asked to do his best for us. I remember that another day so long passed behind the mist, and we were still in that dreadful, noisy, tiresome depot with no change till we went to spend the night at Herr Shadorsky's, because he wouldn't let us go anywhere else. On the way there I remember I saw something marvelous queer little wooden sticks stuck on the lines where clothes hung for some purpose. I didn't think it was for drying, because, you know, I always saw things hung up on fences and gates for such purposes. The queer things turned out to be clothespins, and I remember I noticed many other things of equal importance to our affairs, till we came to the little house in the garden. Here we were received, I remember, with much kindness and hospitality. We had a fire made for us, food and drink brought in, and a servant was always inquiring whether anything more could be done for our comfort. I remember, still through that misty veil, what a pleasant evening we passed, talking over what had so far happened, and wondering what would come. I must have talked like one lost in a thick fog, groping carefully, but had I been shut up mentally in a tower nothing else could pierce, the sense of gratitude that naturally sprung from the kindness that surrounded us must have, would have found a passage for itself to the deepest cavities of the heart. Yes, though all my senses were dulled by what had passed over us so lately, I was yet aware of the deepest sense of thankfulness one can ever feel. I was aware of something like the sweet presence of angels in the persons of good Shadorsky and his family. Oh, that some knowledge of that gratitude might reach those for whom we felt it so keenly! We all felt it, but the deepest emotions are so hard to express. I thought of this as I lay awake a little while, and said to myself, thinking of our benefactor, that he was a Jew, a true son of mercy, and I slept with that thought and this is the last I remember seeing and feeling behind that mist of lazy inactivity. The next morning I woke not only from the night's sleep, but from my waking dreaminess. All the vapors dispersed as I went into the pretty flower garden where the others were already at play, and by the time we had finished a good breakfast served by a dear servant girl, I felt quite myself again. Of course, Mama hastened to Herr Shadorsky as soon as she could, and he sent her to the postmeister again, to ask him to return the part of our passports that had been torn out, and without which we could not go on. He said he would return them as soon as he received word from Eidkunen, so we could only wait and hope. At last it came, and so suddenly that we ran off to the depot with hardly a hat on all our heads or a coat on our backs, with two men running behind with our things, making it a very ridiculous sight. We have often laughed over it since. 
Of course, in such a confusion we could not say even one word of farewell or thanks to our deliverers. But turning to see that we were all there, I saw them standing in the gate, crying that all was well now, and wishing us many pleasant things, and looking as if they had been receiving all the blessings instead of us. I have often thought they must have purposely arranged it that we should have to leave in a hurry, because they wouldn't stand any expression of gratefulness. Well, we just reached our car in time to see our baggage brought from the office and ourselves inside when the last bell rang. Then, before we could get breath enough to utter more than faint gasps of delight, we were again in Eidkunen. The gendarmes came to question us again, but when Mother said we were going to Herr Shidorsky of Eidkunen, as she had been told to say, we were allowed to leave the train. I really thought we were to be the visitors of the elder Shidorsky, but it turned out to be only an understanding between him and the officers that those claiming to be on their way to him were not to be troubled. At any rate, we had now really crossed the forbidden boundary. We were in Germany. End of section 1